come together to worship the Lord and we're grateful for Him because we know that all of these provisions have come from His hand. We've prayed for quite a while knowing that we had to make a change, knowing that we were going to have to move out of our old location. And you know because we've been praying together. We've been asking God to provide and He has provided this place today. New changes. We've talked about them. It seems like repeatedly, it feels like a recurring, I feel like a broken record in the a little over two and a half years I've been here, how many times have I preached, well, another new beginning. And here we are again, <laughs> another new beginning. Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting because with every new beginning, we recognize that we have opportunities that the Lord is giving us. We don't exactly know what it's going to turn out to be, but who does when you're facing a new change, right? Who does when you're facing a new challenge or a new opportunity? <coughs> So what do we do as Christians when we're faced with such a change? Either as a church as a whole or individually, as a couple, as a family. What do you do when you know a significant change is in front of you? You can't get around it. You can't go back. You've got to go forward. How do you do that? I'll suggest to you the very thing that I suggested on my very first Sunday here. You remember God gave me three words, so to speak. They weren't actually words. They were sayings, and in particular, they were scripture passages. And the first one was out of Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades or the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. So where do we turn when we're facing change? We turn to his word. We turn to God and his word. We ask that he meet us in the midst of our change, and that he lead us forward. Now you know that the word of God was with the people of Israel. God came and spoke to them, called them to be a people, and he led them by his word. He led them in various ways. Through the cloud, you know, during the day, the pillar of fire at night. He's led them through priests and prophets and judges. He's led them through kings. He's led them through those who would speak a word to God when he spoke a word to them for his people. And then, after a lot of back and forth with his people, out of, out of a lot of calling them forward and providing for them and saving them, and then some waywardness and disobedience and him having to call them back and redeem them, and back and forth and back and forth, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesied these words in, verse, or in chapter 31. Words that are famous to us, but words that are particularly good to hear today. Today, as I stand with the elements of Holy Communion in front of us, today as we worship in a church that is known by its name, New Covenant Church, God spoke the words to the prophet that he was going to make a new covenant with his people. Here are these words out of Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, after a time of real difficulty, after a time of people dealing with the consequences of not following the Lord. And I don't mean to suggest we're in, in parallel with them in coming here today, but we are in parallel with them. We are like them in the sense that we're facing new changes. And again, he says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. How will that come about? How is God going to put his law in their minds and in our minds? How is he going to put the, 
the law in their minds and then to write it on their hearts. How would that happen? Well, I want to suggest to you that as time has gone on and we now stand on this side of the cross, this side of the resurrection, this side of the ascension, this side of the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost, I want to suggest to you that what God was talking about in writing the law on our hearts and putting it in our minds, He's done through the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. Jesus said in John chapter 9, He said that He would send the Spirit, that He would intercede and ask for the Father, and He would send the Spirit to us to lead us into all truth, to help us understand God's Word, and that it would be in us through the witness of the indwelling Holy Spirit. If His Spirit lives in us, and His Spirit is ministering to our spirits, and we're open to Him, He'll help us to not only understand the Word, but to apply it to our lives. That's good news for us as we're facing change, as we're facing an unknown way forward. It's not totally unknown, but in many respects it is. And we have a lot of questions, just as God's people did back then. What's it going to look like? It'll be different, even though it's somewhat the same. Well, you know, the other words that God gave me in the Gospel of, of John, words that are hopefully familiar with every Christian anywhere ever, is the new command that Jesus gave us. We speak of new covenants. We speak of new command. They're one and the same together. And Jesus said, I give you this new command. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We've talked about that before, and you may remember that as I've talked about love to you, I've said, okay, what are we talking about? What is he talking about? Is he talking about love as a feeling? No. Is he talking about love as a sentiment? No. He's talking about love as our will, a conscious, intentional decision to work on behalf of others, to put others benefits and needs ahead of our own to demonstrate our love. This is a part of the new covenant. When God's law is written on our hearts, when his character, which is really what his law was, when you study the Ten Commandments, when you study the other laws of the Old Testament, what are we talking about? What we're talking about is God revealing to his people who he is, how he exists and how he wants us to live. So the law is a revelation of God's character. And when God's spirit comes to live in us, and he puts that inside of us, then it would be natural for it to come out, for us to act like God acts, loving others before ourselves. Now, you may say, well, wait, 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 wait. didn't he say love one another as you love yourself? Yes, he did. Jesus spoke those words to his disciples. But as you may remember, one of the most significant disciples in terms of the effect written and recorded in Scripture was Paul, who wasn't with him initially, but was with him profoundly after Jesus encountered him on the road on that fateful day. And Paul writes in the letter to Philippians, and I invite you to turn there if you have your scripture, because we're going to speak out of Philippians, focus on that today in particular. 
that in chapter 2, which was the third word God gave me when I came here, <coughs> the word of our God stands forever from Isaiah. Love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. And then this, out of chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, you remember the spirit I just spoke of, the spirit that would come and live in us, the spirit that would minister to us and write God's law on our heart, the spirit that would begin to develop God's character in us, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love be one in spirit and of one mind. Do you hear how this is a continuation? Old Testament, Gospel, New Testament letters. God's trying to say something to us. He's wanting us to take on and in His character and then live it out. Amen. So how does that apply to us today? Sitting here in a new place, with a lot of challenges in front of us. A lot of change in front of us. Paul continues in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Let me suggest to you this morning that that must, be in, must have been and still be in the minds of our brothers and sisters of New Covenant. Because if they were looking to grow their own church only, would they have invited another church to come right in and share the same space? And in fact, have a worship service before their worship service? I don't think so. I don't think that's in the plan to grow your own church bigger by the way the world often speaks. But they believe not in the world, but in the higher power, the God of the covenant, who laid down his life for us, who sacrificed. And they believe that in sacrificing and in opening up and inviting us to come be, come be with them, that God will honor that for both churches. We believe the same. We believe that in fact, two churches sharing the same space will not tear each other down. It won't become a competition, but that God will honor it and we'll have an opportunity to invite people to come. Imagine what it would be like in our city, in our county, if non-Christians those who had never been a part of the church, maybe those who stood back and wondered, why all the division? What if God's churches were to begin to work together? What if they were to set aside competition and actually begin to work together? What if the people outside the kingdom began to see, wow, this is a unified effort in a competitive society. Who does that? Well, what happens if they like their other church better? Can't you hear that question? Wouldn't we ask that question? Imagine, Stacy and I were talking just briefly before the, the service started. There was an important basketball game last night. <laughs> One just right up the road. Imagine on the recruiting trail. Mike Krzyzewski says, hey, you know what? You're a great basketball player. Wouldn't you love to, to play for the University of North Carolina? Now, if you don't follow basketball, you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. But Mike Krzyzewski is the coach for Duke, arch-rival to North Carolina. You can flip it around, it works the same way. 
what basketball coach or football coach or baseball coach or soccer coach or any other coach goes out and says, you're really good. I'd love for you to have an opportunity to use what God's given you to make this other team successful. Talking about a short career, <laughs> is it any different with churches? I'm asking myself that question because as the leader of this church, I'm asking myself today, what have I spent my time on in terms of furthering the kingdom? Have I spent my time promoting when I'm out there God's church, capital C? Or I've been out there promoting Church 180. What about you? When we do what God calls us to do, when we lay down our lives, when we, as Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, looking not to your own interests, but to each of you to the interest of others. See, he's taken and stepped it up a notch. It's not just loving your others as you love yourselves. It's loving others first. What does it mean for us if we lay down our own agenda, even as a church, and we're more about God's kingdom than we are about ourselves? I don't know, folks, what it's like to be a non-Christian because I can't remember. I was a little... A little one, a young young guy when I accepted Jesus, and I really don't remember what it was like. But I can imagine today that if I was a non-Christian and I wasn't really sure about those folks, I wasn't really sure about the whole trust factor. I wasn't really sure about, okay, I hear you say all this stuff, but it appears to me that you're in competition with others just like any of the rest of our institutions. You want me to trust you? I would imagine if I saw a church or two churches or three churches or four churches working together and when I meet or when I met somebody from this church, they were so eager for me to become a part of God's kingdom that they said, try all of us and go to where you feel God's spirit leading you. You know, I might go back to that person. I might go back to them and ask them, when I needed advice. Because if they're willing to set aside their own good for my benefit, that I might go to the place that God is leading me to go to, even if it didn't directly benefit them, then just maybe they'd be willing to look out for my good in other matters as well. I don't know what that says to you this morning, but I'll tell you what it says to me, and it doesn't say it softly. It says, read, if you want to love others, here's a good way to do it. Act it out. Act it out as a pastor. Act it out as a church member. Start looking for the good of others and their needs. No matter where they go or what they do. Now, if you're walking, well, try that again. If you're watching or with us by way of video this morning, let me let you in on a clue. Some of my folks are looking at me right now, and, and my perception is, their look is, uh, Pastor, what's going to happen to our church if everybody goes elsewhere? Now, maybe that's unfair. Maybe that's unfair to the 
to some of the folks here. Maybe that's not the look I'm getting. But I would understand if it is. So let me continue this. Let me continue this message that the Lord gave me today. If we are students of the Word, and if God's Word gets in us, if we take on the character of God, and we begin to love unselfishly, other-centeredly, if I can say it that way, if we begin to worry more about others coming to Jesus through whatever church or means, and we take that lesson and apply it in the rest of the way we interact with people. Business, school, neighborhood, whatever your context. What if we drop some of this heavy competition or this desire to do something that might be interpreted as for my benefit and we make it so clear in our desire to serve others for their good that they can begin to see Christ in us. The same one who didn't hold on to the fact that he was God, as Paul continues in chapter 2, who didn't hold on to the fact that he had all the angels available to him, who could have done anything he wanted, but chose to lay down his life for others. What if that was the message that they saw in us without hearing it. How does that work? What does that look like? What does it look like for you in your life outside of church? I gave you some ideas about what it might look like inside, but what does it look like out there? Does it look like making room in your schedule to go and help those Maybe that you're in your circle. Let's start there. As a church, maybe we focus not so much just on growing us, but maybe we work on serving those who have invited us into their facility. Maybe we work hard at making this a place of blessing for them by serving them. Maybe in your neighborhood, you pay particular attention to the needs of those around you. And you give up something fun you might do to serve them. You set aside a part of your fun money to contribute to something that they need. It says in a very simple but observable way, I care about you enough to sacrifice for myself. Now, there are much greater ways to do this. But I'm confident that God has given you an imagination. Just like he's given me. And I'm confident that you can hear the concerns of others if you pay attention and see them. And I'm confident that if you're asking God to show you ways of serving those around you, work, school, neighborhood, wherever you are, so that he will get the glory, they will receive the message of love acted out. Friends, that's what communion is. In our celebrating communion, we are remembering what Jesus did for us. 
We're remembering a, a specific event and a specific time where he laid down his life to pay for our sin. But we're also remembering what that means for us as we remember it, as we celebrate it, as we take the cracker and the juice into us. We're saying, Lord, I want you to become more in me and less of me. I'm wanting your way of serving others sacrificially to become more my way. And if we're wanting to do his will, don't you think he'll empower us to do it? What if I take the money I was going to spend on some event I was going to go to and I look to use that for the needs of somebody who doesn't have? What if I put on my schedule this week and next week and the week after, make a point before the end of this week to figure out the need of somebody around me, somebody around you that has a need. Now, you know as well as I do, there are people very willing to tell you what their needs are. But there are also a lot of folks we know that won't tell you what their need is because they're concerned about what you might think of them if they appear to be needy. What happens if we pay attention to those folks as well and we find a way of doing something for them that will say more than our words, I love you. I care about you. And if they happen to ask, then we can tell them where that love comes from. You see, on that night, <clears throat> arguably the most important night Jesus would spend with his friends, his last night with them, he sat down and had a normal meal with them. They'd done that many times before. But on this particular occasion, he had something very, very important to tell them. It's the last thing they would hear from him. And all that he had taught them over the three years he'd been with them, he needed to make sure they could capture the summary of it, right? You ever taken a course that lasted more than a day? Oh, man, what did we study? That's what I was asking when I had, right before I take the test. That was three months ago, let alone three years ago. He needed to get the essence to them. What do I want you to most hold on to? What did he want them to most hold on to? Real question. What did Jesus want his friends to take away as the summary of three years of teaching? What would you say? Love God, love people, make disciples? Yeah. Would you say it in a different way? Anybody else? As I have loved you, I want you to love one another. As I have loved you, I want you to love one another. How about others of you? How would you say it?
Do you remember what John taught about the Last Supper? Right after they finished eating, Jesus got up and he took off his outer garments. And he got down on his knees and what did he do? Washed their feet. And washed the feet of his friends. He served them. Yeah, I'm not asking to wash the feet of your neighbors. They probably don't need it. But I can tell you, you can take the same message and apply it. Serve them in ways that they need. Which means you got to pay attention to what they need. That's got to A number of us say, and rightly so, I, I, don't, I don't know what they need. I get that. I don't necessarily know what my neighbors need either. I mean, I have an idea. But they, they've got jobs. So they, they do it. I mean, I can identify with people who don't have a job. I can identify with people who are homeless. Not I can identify like I've been there. Some of you have. But I can understand that need. But what about my neighbor? What about the people that live in my suburb? My subdivision? People that I work with? Do they have any needs? Sure they do. Are there any of those who don't know the love of Jesus? You better believe they have needs. What if you paid attention to them enough to figure out the need? And then you ask God to show you how you could serve them in a way that wouldn't be seen, wouldn't make them uncomfortable, wouldn't infringe upon them, but would say, I paid attention to you, and I love you, and I care about your needs, because God cares about mine and yours. Jesus asked us to remember Him. And when we take His body, when we take a cracker and we say, this is His body, that body was broken. And when we take that blood, that juice that represents the blood, that blood was poured out. It's a wonderful way of blessing others in an unexpected fashion. Nobody expects to be the recipient from somebody else's sacrifice. I got a little extra I can give you? Yeah, maybe. But you you kind of didn't do something you were planning to do. Maybe you gave in a way that really surprises them. That speaks of love. It's out of substance, not just surplus. Jesus met with his friends that night, and he invited them just like he invites any of us. Any of us who believe that he is who he said he is, any of us who believe that he is the Son of God, he is the only Son of God, and he is the only way we can be forgiven, and regain relationship, a good, healthy relationship with the Lord, with God our Father. If we do that, He invites us to come to His table and to take in what He's been trying for centuries to give us, His character, His life. That's the new covenant, folks. 
The new covenant is God says, I want to be in right relationship with you. I want to have a special loving relationship with you. I want to help you live the life I've given you. Actually, I want to give you a new life. It's even better. But you can't have that unless I lay down my life first. He makes the first move and invites us to make the second one. Would you pray with me? I'll say the words, but you pray in your heart the confession of the Lord. Maybe an area of weakness or something that's keeping you from doing this kind of love for others. Will you pray that? Father, we come collectively and confess before you. We confess to you, Lord, that in too many ways we've been focused too much on ourselves. Maybe we just simply haven't taken the time or made the effort to pay attention to our our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends. Maybe we haven't paid enough attention to those that we are around but we aren't friends with to understand their need. But Lord, you've called us to love like you've loved us. And you've said to love our enemies, not just our friends. You said to love those who are very different and have different ideas and agendas than we have. Because you loved us when we had different ideas and different agendas. Lord, we confess to you that we have not been what you want us to be. We confess to you that only you can make that right in us. Only by your spirit, only by following your word, only by living a life that you've demonstrated through Jesus' life. Father, will you forgive us? Will you deliver us from our sin, our shortcomings, the things we do that we shouldn't and the things that we should have done that we haven't? Will you make us right with you, Lord, and pour more and more of your character into us? Thank you, Lord. We give you many, many thanks today for your immeasurable grace. Lord, we ask you now as we prepare to take this communion to take these elements and give them real meaning to us. Help us to realize that you are with us and in taking this bread and this juice that we will, in fact, receive into us more and more of your character. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In your holy name we pray. Amen.